Good morning. Well, we have this uh, running joke in my family. Um, Jen told me one day when she was in her computer class, that she was a math and science uh, person in university, but she said when she was in computers, and I've joked to you before about her use of computers, and incidentally, no, I haven't run this story by her, so we'll see how this goes over. Um, but she told me once that she was in a computer class in university, and this was, I guess, uh, 1995 or something like that. And she said, I remember them talking about this thing called the World Wide Web. And she's like, I don't know what that is. That's never going to go anywhere. Uh, <laughs> so we have this joke about the thesis statement she wrote on why the internet will never work, but it's not really true. But, um, you know, the internet's done a lot of amazing things for us in a culture. We're living through an unbelievable uh, technological revolution, the size of which, you know, can be compared even maybe more so than even the Industrial Revolution and how that has shaped and is shaping our culture and every one of your lives and even this morning. Now, the internet's done a lot of great things. It's ruined some things, too. Like, uh, I was thinking, like, a good old-fashioned blind date, right? There's no such thing as a blind date anymore, because you just Google the name. Um, and, and maybe internet dating, if it continues to sort of take off, will obliterate the idea of blind dates altogether. Now, if you, you know, what, what is a blind date? A blind date, at its heart, is, you know, one person, or maybe two people, who think that two other people should really meet and, and, and should get together. And so at, at the will of this person, maybe a friend or family member, they, they cash some chips with, with you or whoever. They say, oh, I know someone you should really meet or two friends get together and say, oh, we got to get our friends together. This will work. And so it's really um, two people that they think maybe wouldn't otherwise meet because of their circles they run in or because of uh, maybe they just think, oh, they, they would not necessarily choose each other, but we think they'd be great together. And so they're setting you up with the hopes that perhaps you will find greatness in this moment at this blind date. Now, and so if you convince the other person, they go along. And, and if you go along with a blind date, even if you have only a shred of hope, that hope is, well, maybe this will turn into something great. Now, I was thinking about the fact that, like, oh, when I was writing this, I'm like, oh, I never actually went on a blind date. But the truth is, I've been on four. The first one was with my wife. And it actually wasn't a blind date in the way that we met. But if you think about it, those of you that are married, you're pretty blind going into it, right? Like, you've dated many times, but you're up there on the stage or at the front of the church or wherever, maybe at a destination wedding, you're on a beach or something. The truth is... You said some crazy stuff on that day, vows, what you were going to do for the rest of your life to a person that, quite frankly, you didn't know that well. No matter how well you thought you knew them, you were going in blind. It was a blind date. And the truth is, if I think about it, if, if someone at the time had told me all that was going to be entailed in marriage, like I always joke, I thought I was a selfless person until I got married, and I realized, you know... Something's wrong with her. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Why do I have all these problems all of a sudden? I liked me before. If, if you painted the whole picture of what it was going to look like, many of us, honestly, maybe I would have said, oh, I don't know if I want that. The truth is, I was set up by God to make a decision. As one person said, Mike Mason, in his book, The Mystery of Marriage, he said, we are swept off our feet and, in a sense, tricked into making a commitment that otherwise we would never make. And yet God knows we need to do it. It was something that needed to happen in my life, and, I, and I'm so glad it did. But that was actually just the first one. I had three more after that, my three kids. If there was ever a blind date, it's having a child. You have fully committed before you have met them. You're not just dating. You said, yes, come into my life. I will look after you forever, and I don't even know you. 
You don't know what gender. You don't know what personality. You don't know anything about them. You don't know what health problems they may have, what attitude problems they may have, what challenges in life they're going to have, and yet you are all in? It is totally blind. Again, I feel tricked by God into something that otherwise maybe, you know, if you had seen the whole picture and sometimes, you know, before we had have kids, we'd go out to people's houses who had them, we'd come home and say, thank God we do not have kids. I couldn't, I don't know if I could hack that. And yet God sort of brings you into this place. And those of you that are laughing, you know what it's like. And yet I would never change it, mostly. I would never change it. <laughs> I mean, God knew what, knew what I needed to be changed. It's happened through those relationships. And they have brought more joy and energy into my life than I could have ever imagined. And so they are gifts in a sense, all four of them in a sense, blind dates. And truth be told, things that I would say, oh, if you said, hey, what do you think? You want to go on a date? Uh, I don't know if I knew the full picture. But God set me up to make a decision that otherwise I wouldn't have made that was really, you know, the four greatest things in my life other than his love for me are those four relationships. Now, maybe you've had that experience. Whether or not you're married, whether or not you have kids, whether or not you've been on a blind date before, perhaps you can say, yeah, you know what? I've been in a situation before where Something that I maybe wouldn't have done otherwise, but somehow I was tricked and I don't know where my judgment went or whatever. Somehow I ended up in a decision that ended up being the best thing in my life or one of the greatest things. I could have never quite planned it. I didn't know I was blind going into it, but something happened good. And maybe in big and small ways, you've experienced that. Now, if that's true, that's a bit disconcerting, isn't it? Because you start to realize, maybe I don't know what's best for me. I think I know what's best for me. I go around with my free will, choosing what I believe is best for me. But if I think about it, there are many things that I wouldn't have chosen that I'm so glad I ended up backing into them because they were the greatest things for me. And likewise, there are things that I thought were the best thing for me, but in the end were hurtful or difficult or destructive. And so you start to realize, ooh, Maybe I don't know what's best for me. Now, before the fear totally sets in, you know, because either we have to just totally ignore this, and some of us do this, right? We just hit the reset every time we have a new decision to make. Uh, I didn't see that coming. Reset, make another one. But how do we know? And unless we want to become paranoid people about it, we run to, what I do is I run to the scriptures. And one of the things I find so comforting about the story of God And you will see this all the way through the story if you haven't seen it already, and and especially here in the book of Acts, is there is someone who sees all of it coming. There is someone who knows how it all is going to play out. There is someone who is shaping circumstances and moving big parts and small parts, moving people around, moving them across countries, bringing up kings, taking them out. It is God. We just sang this morning, you are the sovereign one. Sovereign means you are Lord over all. In other words, he is the one controlling all of the things that you and I cannot see at all. And we find great comfort in that. The opening pages of the story, and for those of you that are new with us today, we've been actually journeying through the whole story of scripture, not so that we can sort of know where every book goes and figure out and memorize all the names and people we couldn't pronounce and all this stuff, but that we would understand that this is a story 
and not a fable, but it is a story that is being played out continually even into our lives. And that if we know God's story, we will understand our own stories more. It isn't that what we're all trying to figure out. And in the story as it opens, God creates men and women. He puts them at the center of a world that he made. And he said, I made you for a relationship with me. You were created to crave love, acceptance, grace, forgiveness, and it comes from me. And if you have that relationship with me, everything else in your life will make sense. Your life with the opposite sex, your life with your family, your life with your friends, your life with your work, your physical self, and your psychological frame of mind. All of it anchored by relationship with God. And as the fallout comes and sin comes and we began to push God away from the center, everything began to disintegrate. And so God determined to keep his promises to us that he would love us and be with us and that we would actually be a reflection of him to the world around us. Said, okay, I'm going to start over with this, you heard this word already, the old community. It was a community of people called Israel. And he gathered these people together, not because they were a special ethnicity or not because he just says, I chose you because I chose you. And the purpose was he was going to take this nation and they were going to be known not by their ethnicity, not by their military or political might, not by their uh, economic status or their imprint on the world, not by their geography, but by the fact that God was their God. The God of heaven and earth was their God. But truthfully, even this old community could not stay with God. They continued to rebel against him. And so when Jesus comes on the picture, we call Jesus, the part of the story, the rescue. That Christ came and began to change all of the way the world had begun to work. And when we studied his life, and you read it through the Gospel of Luke that we did this year, what we find is that Jesus is the God in a sense we never knew. That Jesus brought the grace and love of God so near. And one of the most troubling things about Jesus is that he did things differently than any people really expected. And some people found that really refreshing, but the religious people found that really disturbing. Because he began to show them a new way to relate with God. He was breaking paradigms. He was crossing boundaries. He was hanging out with people that weren't of Jewish origin. He was hanging out with people that really shouldn't belong in church. He was elevating women and children who had essentially sort of had the the status of property in that culture. And he was raising them up to be equal with men. In that culture, men, women, children, all equally valuable before God, all precious, all loved by God. It was mind-blowing. And so it should be no surprise that when Jesus left, he planted the new community, which is the church, and the church becomes the radical reflection of their radical Savior. And so what we find is when the church starts, it's incredible. It's crossing socioeconomic boundaries. You got slaves and masters in the same church. Then they go to work on Monday. In some cases, the slaves might have been even the house church leader. That's why Paul had to say, hey, slaves, you got to still obey your masters on Monday, even though you're leading the church on Sunday. You had total breakdown of socioeconomic barriers and status. You had men and women together being involved in the church. The Holy Spirit coming to men and women and children and young and old, breaking down ageism and and gender barriers. But the most radical movement of the church was yet to come. That was just chapters one to nine. Today we read the final sort of breaking point in this new community that was nothing like anyone had ever seen before and was a reflection of a God that they could have never imagined was this gracious and this loving. And he sets up two people on a blind date to make it happen. 
We're going to read, and this section of scripture is actually long. I tried to cut it down. I absolutely couldn't because the story's too good and there's just too much in there. So I'm going to read it. You follow with me. It's uh, Acts. Oh, you know what? I think I have a different version here. Okay. It's not too many different versions. Just follow me, okay? A couple different words. Don't say after. You read. It wasn't on the screen. I know. Okay. Here we go. Acts chapter 10. Now, hang on. Sorry. Church is growing. Peter and Paul, two of the big figures in the church. We talked about the conversion of Saul to Paul last week. And so um, they're starting to spread and get some of these towns in this, all in this province of Judea. It's still kind of basically a Jewish area, but the Gentiles all over the place, those were non-Jews. And so um, this is a story about Peter. He's one of the people in the blind day, the other guy we didn't know about until today. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. A centurion was a, was a Roman general, over 100 soldiers. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Is this pretty much what's on the screen? Okay. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. It's a very spiritual experience. He's up there praying. He's getting hungry. You ever had that experience? Okay. And while the, listen to this. This is so trippy. While the meal was being served, he fell into a trance. Okay, so he's hungry, starting to pray, falls into a trance. Well, guess what he's going to be dreaming about? Food. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down on, to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now stop here for a second. There were all kinds of foods that the Jewish people weren't allowed to eat. And so the visions got everything on there. This is like full buffet. It was like the first time I went to a Portuguese Italian wedding. It was like midnight, the table comes out. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is the best thing ever. This is like, okay, everything on this table, half of which the Jews weren't supposed to eat. And so the voice says, hey, go ahead and eat. And Peter says, no, I would never do that. I'm not going to eat some of those things that's impure or unclean. The voice says to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now, I want you to hear this, okay? This is what's happening. Cornelius over here has this vision, starts to send these men to Peter. Peter's over here. He's hungry, goes on the roof to pray, has this vision, okay? Things are happening, right? God is moving. These two people don't know what's happening, but God knows. He's moving one guy over here, one guy over here, an angel over here, another vision over here. Now, listen to this. Verse 17. While Peter's wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's was and stopped at the gate. They called and asked if asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter's still thinking about the vision, the spirit says to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I've sent them. Blind date. Here we go. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. 
He's a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. So some of Peter's posse is going with them to Caesarea. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Now stop here for a second. This is a blind date happening between these two guys. God's setting up this one guy. He sends some men. Same time he's talking to Peter. The things are starting to move, and we're watching these two things come together. And this is something so colossal, a movement. And you might say, well, what, what's going on? Why is that such a big deal? This was a Jewish person, Peter, and a Gentile, Cornelius. Now, Jews and Gentiles did not mix. Now, Gentiles were everybody non-Jew, okay? So these were kind of the religious sort of supposedly, you know, creator God of heaven fearing people, and Gentiles were everything else. Gentiles, they just, they worshiped whatever. They weren't godly people. They were separated by the things that they ate, food. So they didn't eat the same food. So Jews had only a certain diet. Jews were also circumcised. Gentiles weren't. So you'll find in the Bible, they often call them the uncircumcised. That's the Gentile. I don't know why they just did you know, God could have given them a secret handshake, but instead it was circumcision. Anyways, um, but that, that was the sign of the Jews being a part of this covenant, but all the non-Jews, they were not a part of it. And so that separated them. And then holy days, the Jews had the Sabbath day. That was a big deal for them, keeping that holy. But everybody else had different practices. And so they were separated. In fact, the Jews consider these people not godly people, not part of God's plan. And so suddenly now, these two Jew and Gentile, people who should never, you know, like it's like if someone saw someone setting up two people on the blind date, you're going, those two? They're not going to last 10 minutes in the room. Not to mention, Peter's a fisherman. This guy's like a trained assassin. It's a Roman soldier. It's like David Suzuki going on a date with Jason Bourne. Like, this is, how's this going to happen? Like, this is, right? There, and here they, here they come together. And so on every level, we're going, this is not going to work. This is a blind date that should not be. What happens when they come to, oh, hang on. Last thing, Caesarea. Caesarea was a province of Judea. And it was actually the, the largest city in Judea. But the Jews and Gentiles constantly clashed in Judea. Because the Jews kind of felt like it was part of their territory and Syrians and other people who were there. And so there was always conflict going on. If you read Josephus and his Antiquities of the Jews, a Jewish historian, he'll tell you that Caesarea was a place that was always fighting. And the Romans had to break it up because most of the Roman battalions were stationed in Caesarea. So Romans didn't like Jews because they were always fighting about their stupid laws and their stupid things. They were so frustrated with them and they were always having conflict with them. So these guys, this was going to like the hotbed of conflict between these two characters that should not be together. Anybody else would have looked at and said, these two are not gonna last. So what happens? Here they come. Now, here's the thing. Every blind date has some awkward moments, right? So there's some coming up in here. This is funny. So the following day, they arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together all his relatives and close friends. So Peter enters the house. Cornelius met him, and he falls at his feet in reverence. Ever happened to you at a blind date? No, okay, not. So, but Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. In other words, don't worship me. I'm not special. Taking uh, with him, Peter, talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. It's like, whoa, all your friends and relatives are here. He said to them, you're well aware that it is against our law 
for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. It was against their law to even go in their house. And there's Peter full of a room full of these people. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Peter's starting to figure out the vision. Ah, I don't know when it dawned on him, right? Because it says he's still thinking about the vision, still thinking about the vision. Cornelius comes, now they go, and he walks to the door, and he's going, oh, I get it. God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for you, I came without raising any objections. May I ask why you sent me? He doesn't know why he's there. He went. Cornelius like, hey, come visit. He's like, okay. Ah, awkward moment. Why, why am I here again? Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Well, what had God commanded Peter to tell us? We don't know. Peter didn't know either. He just showed up. And Cornelius said, well, I don't know. I was just told to get you. So here we are. What do you have to say? Then Peter began to speak. And it was not a canned sermon because he had just figured it out. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, that's the province, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Peter's just preaching the gospel. He's like, well, okay, the only thing I know what to say is this. While Peter's still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who were, heard the message. So this is what happened to the Jews first in Acts 2. Now it's happening to a room full of Gentiles. So this is where the circumcision stuff comes. The circumcised believers, so there's some Jews that came with them, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God, which is what happened when the Jews first received the Holy Spirit. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. In other words, this is the real deal. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is a stunning movement. It blew the doors open off the gospel. The truth is, if the Jews had paid attention to their Old Testament scriptures, they would have known that this was God's, always God's plan. He said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing to all nations. The whole story of scripture is, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing, and I'm going to bless you to be a blessing, and I'm going to call you in, send you out, call you in, send you out. And Jesus was starting to do it, but the disciples didn't fully clue in. They just thought he was a radical by himself. They didn't realize that that was the gospel message. 
Now, this is why it was so stunning to them. You might think, well, what? they were ethnocentric. They were so racist or whatever. Think about it. The whole story, the thread that we've been going through for 17 months to see that this whole thing was on a collision course with Jesus. Well, Jesus was a Jew. And the Jews have been through this whole story and realized that he was Messiah. Well, now these other dudes are coming in. They didn't go through the story. They didn't know anything about Messiah. And they're like, oh yeah, we want him too. They're like, what? You're not a Jew. How do you, what? You haven't been in part of the story. How does this even make sense? They didn't realize that it wasn't just about the threads of Judaism that was running through from the beginning, but God was using one family to be a conduit of a blessing to all nations and that eventually this was going to cover the earth. They were just starting to wrap their minds around this. Whoa, you don't have to be a Jew to be a Christian. Imagine saying that today, right? Doesn't that sound funny? But that was, they, it blew their mind. Because they thought, well, of course, we are. We get it. We've been looking for Messiah, and now Jesus is the Messiah, so we now receive him. You guys weren't even interested in Messiah, and now you're saying he's Lord too. And God was saying to Peter, yeah, it's for all of them. And so he brings these two guys together in this incredible setup, a blind date that would have never happened before. Now you might say, well, so what? Why? Was this just like a lesson in diversity? Like this is, you know, this is like the things they put on my kid's school, right? Grade three, this week is diversity week or whatever. Like this is, this is kind of what, is this, is this what this is? Oh, you should try to get along. Sounds very uh, culturally relevant for, relevant for Toronto in 2014, right? Who is this about? See, both of them needed to be set up because both of them were missing something that they needed to meet the other person in order to get. Their, their lives were missing something. Both of them were. There was a, a, and they, it, it, they were missing Jesus. Both of them were. Cornelius, it says, was a good man. He, he was a good guy. He did good works. He was, it says he was God-fearing, which means he kind of had a sense of God up there, crater, and there's one God, but he didn't know that that one God was Jesus. He didn't know that that God up there had come so close into the world. He didn't know that that God could forgive the sins of a brutal Roman assassin. He didn't know that that one God would come so close as to even die at the hands of Rome and still say, Father, forgive them. He didn't know that this one God was coming to be present in a sense to even share a meal and eat with his friends and even people who were called sinners. He was missing the gospel. He didn't get it. He, he knew God was up there and he was trying to be a good person and that's pretty much how he thought he should live. But being a good person and believing in God wasn't enough because he missed who God really was. Because Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And anyone who comes to, is going to go to the Father has to come through me. Cornelius was a good guy, believed in God, but he didn't know the gospel. He didn't know the good news of Jesus Christ. And so God set him up on this blind date. He didn't even know what was coming. He just went there and said, okay, well, whatever it is you have to say, Peter, say it because I need to hear it. And Peter just says, well, I don't know what else to say except to tell you about Jesus that has changed my life. And Cornelius hears it and the Holy Spirit falls. There is no even, we don't even know if Cornelius prayed the prayer. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls on him. And this guy received because he believed. He was missing the gospel. And so God set him up on this blind date. Now you might say, well, Peter, but Peter wasn't missing the gospel because he was the one preaching it. Really? What, is it, what was his sermon? Now I get it. 
He, he had a part of it. He, he understood, okay, yeah, Jesus is for me, and he loves me. You know, Peter was the one that Jesus had forgiven for denying him, selling him out three times, right, in his hour of greatest need. He understood Jesus loved him. He understood the grace of God, but he didn't really get it. He didn't get that grace means every other thing that would otherwise separate us is now gone. As Paul says in Ephesians, Christ has broken down the walls of hostility that separated us. He didn't get just how full it was. He needed to go on that blind date because he needed to realize just how rich the gospel was, just how good the good news of Christ was, just how wide the embrace of God was. He needed to realize the defining mark of this new community is not gender, it's not race, it's not age, it's not socioeconomic status, it's not education. Now, he knew a bunch of that. He just didn't get the race part, which was the biggest one. He was also missing out. You know, the, the lesson of the sheet coming down with all the animals? That wasn't just a metaphor. Jews and Gentiles were literally separated by their food. They wouldn't eat together. And what happens when they come together? They invited Peter to stay in his house, and he stayed for days, which means he didn't just hang out in their house. He ate a lot of meals with them. You see, he was, the gospel was bringing people together. Not, you see, our, I'm getting into the second half of the sermon already. I don't know if I'm, I'm there yet. Our culture is, has such a low expectation for unity. We talk about diversity and tolerance. Those are weak words. Tolerate, sure, it's the beginning. I get it. It's the beginning of peace. But it's not peace. True peace is when we break bread together, when we actually share our lives and our homes together. This was not a lesson in diversity or tolerance. This was saying, you are brother. You're my sister. These two were coming together on a blind date because they were missing the good news of Jesus Christ. And when Christ came to both of them in fullness, they ate together. Two people that otherwise had no business being together, would never have been in the same house, had nothing else in common, were there sharing a meal together. That's how we knew that Christ had come to that home, to those hearts. See, friends, Jesus is doing that still in his church today. Tony said that to us this morning, that, that we are a living representation of the fact. Why else would all of us be in this room? What else would bring us together? Personal interest, maybe a couple people you share personal interest with, you know, ethnic background, maybe food tastes. We are such an affinity-driven culture. We hang out and gravitate towards those that are like us, and we keep out the ones that aren't like us. And we have little groups of identifiers because everything is affinity-based. So you have little groups on Facebook and you have little groups in your work and you, you guys all see that happen in your workplaces, in your homes, in your neighborhoods. We, we, we want to live in the same neighborhoods with people who are like us, kind of drive the same kind of cars, kind of have the same standard of living. Everything works to separate us. And in the church, all of those walls are divided and smashed down. And the story of the church and the history of it tells us right now, that we are living under the same blessing and the new movement of the new community that started then. This is still the way God works. None of you are here by accident. Do you get it? The church is, is the biggest blind date going. 
We think, oh yeah, I, I walked into this place on my own accord. Did you? I want you to think about all of the circumstances, all of the situations, all the things that happened to bring you here, whether you came here nine years ago or this is your first day. The sovereign God, the matchmaker, has been at work in your life and other people's lives, bringing us together into this place. Now, some of you call this home and your members, and this is your family. Others of you are like new. It's like, hey, I don't know if I want to commit. Yeah, fine, you don't need to. But just know, you didn't just walk in here of your own accord. Some of you are like Cornelius. You're a good person, and you believe in God. But you are missing the truth about who God really is and God set you up to come to this place that you would find that his name is Jesus. That he comes into our lives. He's not just creator up there. Someone we can call on when we're maybe a little bit confused. Someone we can get angry with when things don't go the way that we hope. Someone we hope have a vain idea that somehow all things are going to work out even though it just doesn't seem like that in the case. That that's not all who God is, that God didn't leave us in the dark about who he was, that he sent Jesus into our lives and we find Christ in his church together. God set you up on a blind aid if that was you. And some of you would say, yeah, that was my story. I was trying to be a good person. And I believe that God was up there somewhere until I came to this place and I realized, wait, his name is Jesus. And he actually wants a relationship with me. He wants to break bread with me. He wants to come right into my life. Some of you are like Cornelius. And as a result, you've started to break bread with people. You're hanging out with people that otherwise you never would have hung out with before. If somebody had told you, oh yeah, you're going to go to church on Sunday and sing, you'd be like, no way, I'm not going to do that. You're going to hang out with Jesus people. No, I'm not going to do that. And some of you, here you are. Ha ha. God knew what you needed. But some of us were like, Peter, oh yeah, oh, I, know, I know the gospel. Yep, I've yep, been a Christian my whole life. Yep, raised in the church. Oh, yeah, I can tell you. How, oh, I prayed the prayer when I was four. But you were missing the heart of God that has a wide embrace. And you didn't get it until you came into God's people, into God's church. See, God, the matchmaker working in Cornelius' life and Peter's life and all of our lives to bring us together in a place where otherwise we would never choose. He set us up to be here. Think about the circumstances of your life that brought you here. You may have just walked backwards into this church thinking, oh, a church plant sounds like a good idea. You had no idea, right? Church plant. <laughs> Some of you, a friend invited you or you came or maybe you came kicking and screaming. You never thought you'd last more than an hour in church. I want to tell you, it's not because of the building. It's not because you love the stained glass. Why are you here? Because the sovereign matchmaking God is setting you up to find out what you have been missing. And you don't find it till we come together. And we come together with people with 30 different, over 30 nationalities, with people we otherwise wouldn't be with. And the truth is, it's not just about sitting here and singing some songs and listening to a message and going home. I mean, you can live in your cone if you want. But the truth of it is, you will really understand the gospel when you begin to break bread with each other in this place, which is why we encourage you to be in home groups because this isn't all that church is. We need to be in each other's homes. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be breaking bread together. This is the new community. God sets us up on a blind day to see Jesus. That's how it works. God sets us up on a blind day to, to see Jesus. That's his plan all along. That happened for Cornelius, but it happened for Peter too. He didn't see just how amazing 
and wide the embrace of Christ was. I bet you after this, he began to look at all of the stuff Jesus did and all the stuff Jesus said. He goes, oh, now I get it. We were fools before. We didn't get it. He set us up on a blind date to see Jesus. Which means you got to be paying attention. What is God doing in my life? You know, you can't see anything of the future, but we can be paying attention to what's happened in the past and what's happening right now. We don't know the future. The future is God's. But knowing that this is a matchmaking God that you love, that he is setting you up to do things that otherwise you would say, I don't want to do that, but could be the greatest thing in your life. You got to be paying attention. God, what are you doing? And so here's what I leave with you this morning, the prayer that I want you to pray. Here's the prayer. God, open my eyes to see how you're setting me up in my church, in my neighborhood, in my workplace, because this is, this is the God you serve. He's always doing it. He's still doing it. So God, open my eyes to see how you're setting me up and give me the courage to go along, right? Isn't that all that what Peter and Cornelius had? Okay, I'll go. He's still thinking about it. They get these trippy visions. They don't know. Okay, we'll go. Sounds kind of crazy. It sounds like maybe something I don't even know if I would want to do, something I don't know if I'm, I'm too afraid to do. But God, open my eyes to see how you're setting me up and give me the courage to go along. In this church, there are people that will change your life and you haven't even met them yet. There are people that are gonna have a dramatic, you know, I, you know how I know that? Because that has happened to my life in the church for 38 years. People I didn't know, people I didn't think I'd wanna know. People I saw across the room and said, I'm not interested in you. And God has continued to bring people into my life, something I didn't know about. I remember when the worship pastor at Rexdale got hired years ago. You know, stylistically, musically, I was leading worship at the time. He's very different. He's very classically trained. And I was like, Dad, that's terrible. Bad hire. <laughs> this is basement conversations in my house. My dad's the pastor of the church but we had before. This guy became one of the most profound spiritual mentors in my life. And, and, and at first glance, I was like, we have nothing in common. We don't like the same music. We don't play that same song the same way. How much did I need to know Christ more through his life? And I had no idea. So God, open my eyes. In this church, there are people who will change your life. And you don't know it yet. Maybe you don't know them or you think, I don't want to know you. This is why we threw you into home groups and we didn't say, pick your home group. We said, you live here, that's where you're going. Some of you are like, what? Oh, I want to be with my friends. No, because we don't know what's best for us. Now you're all friends with your home group. See? Ha ha. This is where you live. Go to home group. Why? Because there are people that you don't know yet that will change your life with the gospel. God, because the matchmaking God brings us together. Maybe you've been in a home group and it hasn't totally got, God, open my eyes, see what's happening around me. Help me realize what you're doing. But also in your neighborhood, you work with a couple in this church and they lived in one area uh, of, the, of a community and they moved, still same area, just a couple streets over. And he said to me when he moved in, he said, something's different about this street. I just know it. Didn't know what it was. Just the neighbors, they just seemed to get along more. Started to talk, started to find out. Some, he had come from a Catholic background and, and had, had, had and discovered Jesus and become a full-on crazy fanatical Christian. You know, never thought. One of those people, oh, that'll never be me. Began to talk with some neighbors, found out they were similar people, Catholic, but had just sort of left the church altogether, sort of in no man's land. Began to talk. He said, oh, I think something's going on here. Year passes by. Whatever, now that neighbor is inviting him to come to an Alpha course that she's running in her home. Alpha is like an introduction to the 
person and work of Jesus Christ. They aren't running the Alpha Course. They didn't have to invite anyone. They just had to hang around in the neighborhood and go, wait, God is doing something. So then when that person says, are you free Sunday nights? He said, oh, yep, absolutely. We're in. Because God was working around them. This, this should give us great comfort as the church, that this is God working, setting us up. We just have to have the courage to go along. So God, open my eyes to see where you're setting me up. Even in workplaces, some of you look at the people you work with and think, well, that's a trained assassin. <laughs> you know? They're going to want nothing to do with Jesus. God, open my eyes to see how you're setting me up and give me the courage to go along. So as the worship team comes to lead us in response, I just want to pray this over you. And then you're going to pray a prayer, which is the song, uh, what's the first song called, you know? Oh, for the sake of the world. That's your prayer saying, God, do it in me. So let's, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your church, which, is, which some of it we love, some of it pushes our boundaries. Aspects of you, Jesus, so easy to accept, and others are like, whoa, this is hard. We thank you that you are the radical, barrier-crushing God, that you have destroyed the walls that separate us, broken down the, the hard barriers of an affinity-based culture now and back then that that has always been your work, that the church is the place defined not by how much we make, not by our skin color, not by our education, not by our gender, but by the radical, loving, self-giving Jesus who says, this is my church and my church is gonna look like me. And so Christ, open our eyes to see how you are at work, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together to set us up and give us the courage to say, okay, I'll do that. I'll open my mouth. I'll go have lunch with that person. I'll ask that person for coffee. I'll say yes to that request to get together. I'll walk across the driveway to begin a conversation. You alone know what it's gonna, where it's going to go. It's not up to us. We thank you for that but give us eyes to see and the courage to say yes. In your son's name we pray, amen. I was thinking about why, why would you go along on a blind date? Probably the, the one reason is because you trust the person who's setting you up, right? You think, okay, you, you know, they know me. If you really trust that person, and sometimes they might even say, come on, trust me, this will be good for you. So I just want to bless you with an ability to trust your heavenly father who knows you. For some of you, maybe the trust just to go on a place to be lunch next week. Say, okay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go. Maybe you had a bad experience with churches and pastors and everything. Pastor, even maybe a lunch with the pastoral staff is kind of like, whoa, I don't know if I want that. Some of you, baptism, Tony said. That, that may be your next step. Wherever that is, that you would hear God's voice on it. And if you trust him, say, okay, I'll trust you. I'll go along. I just want to bless you with an ability to trust your Heavenly Father who knows you. Amen? Thanks so much for coming. We'll see you at the 30-minute party after. God bless.